what's going on guys welcome to the 10-year blue belt podcast we are at episode six me and my co-host ryan white some pretty fucking good fights coming up this weekend yeah dude absolutely absolutely i'm i'm honestly like really excited for masvidal usman i mean everything i know about fighting says usman should win and probably like pretty dominantly and it on paper on paper it. yeah on paper yeah Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tough it's a tough fight to analyze because Usman like really is like a very talented fighter, bro. I mean, his hands. I, I honestly think that the Covington fight was kind of like an over glorified sparring match that like the wrestling yeah. kind of neutralized itself and the guys were just you know. Yeah, definitely. We see that so much when it comes when you see like two high level wrestlers fight. Yeah, where you know. It's like rather than dig deep and fight for takedowns that they probably won't get, yeah. they generally just, you know, throw hands. And so, like, this would be interesting because, I mean, Masvidal has a world-class grappling game. Never gets talked about because, obviously, he likes to primarily strike. But I mean, he, he submitted a- Michael Chiesa, dude. It, it, exactly. I mean, you can't be both a slouch and submit a guy like Michael Chiesa. And Kiesa, I mean, like, ultimately on the ultimate fighter in his UFC career, he's just been out grappling people, you know, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, Michael Kiesa is awesome. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's uh, honestly probably one of the best grapplers in whatever division he decides to be in. Yeah, and, I mean, and he, if he was a big lightweight, dude, he's a, he's also a big welterweight, Michael Kiesa. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, see, you know, I remember watching his fight against Diego Sanchez. And now, granted, Diego... He's really a 155-er, but he spent most of his career at 170 and even first got in the UFC at 185. Yeah. And Kessler is just so much bigger than him. Yeah, and uh, was uh, that bum-ass coach in his corner? What the fuck's his name, dude? <laughs> I don't recall. But you know who I'm talking about, right? How Sanchez dropped Jackson Wink and he, now he's got this, like, Tony Robbins-ass guy in his fucking corner, like, coaching him. Oh, yeah, that's right. Honestly, I completely forgot about that. But, yeah, I forgot after he drew that hard line in the sand and was yeah. that cowboy when Cowboy left. Then he ended up leaving a fight or two later himself. And yeah. you know what? I think, I think, it, I think it might have been that guy. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, Diego I mean, he, Diego fought smart in that fight. He did. He just was just too small, you know. And, um, and as good of a grappler as Diego is, because he has super underrated jujitsu, especially from on top. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he trained with Salo and Shane Hibero for a long time, dude, and those guys are no joke. Oh, it, it, exactly. Like, he's, you know, a legit grappler. You know, he, he's just somebody who stopped fighting with his brain a long time ago. And, yeah. he, and, all, and, he, and he could never quite seem to get it to click striking. You know what I mean? Like, his, cause his grappling was always really good, but his striking was never, never quite there. He's definitely gotten better over the years, but... Never, you know, I, my strategy if I were coaching it would never be to have a grapple. 100%. I feel like, honestly... I, uh, I, I, I just completely said the opposite of what I meant. <laughs> strike. <laughs> no, my, my, yeah, my strategy would never be to have a strike. God damn it, I'm tired. Nah, no worries, dude. Uh, <laughs> it's a long day for both of us. Yeah. Well, but different ends of the spectrum, but long day nonetheless. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the thing with Diego, <laughs> the thing with Diego is like that 155 pound run he had before he fought Clay Guido is quite impressive, man. He, he beat a lot of game guys in that time. He was out there oh, yeah, really. I mean, he, he, oh, 
yeah, I really took it to like Guida, Dave, um, Guida, Joe Stevenson, and then yeah, it just you know, but then you had Prime BJ that you know in the corner with him, and, and Diego had nothing for him. That was the best I think BJ Penn's ever looked in his career, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I would probably consider that to be like the peak of of BJ's career. After that, actually, I think I think his literal next fight was against Frankie Edgar. Yeah, that was when it started to decline. Exactly, and it wasn't even a decline. It wasn't even like he lost a big decision against Frankie Edgar. It was a split decision, and he fought a good fight. It was a valiant effort. Yeah. So, absolutely, it, it you know BJ, I feel like is just one of those guys who's great, and he knew he was great, and it yeah. seems like he, you know, and he's pretty much said this in interviews. He just gets complacent. Yeah, and he loves to eat hot dogs, dude, and fucking do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's never, that's, that's never super helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but to be fair, like, it just shows the amount of talent that a guy like BJ Penn has or early on in his career, dude. Like, I actually read his book. Have you ever taken the time to read his documentary? Like, his bi- biography, so, sorry? So, I have it, but I never actually read it. How is it? Dude, the, the bio, like, the BJ Penn biography is actually a very interesting book, and it really highlights, like, a lot of the early sides of his career and, like, you see that uh, as a young guy in Hawaii, like him and his brothers used to get in like a lot of fights and they ended up kind of turning into some sort of like a fight club. And what happens, what he highlights is pretty much that he knew that he could be like a top tier fighter when he was fighting guys like twice his weight and taking big punches to the head with like these 16 ounce gloves on. Like he just knew that he could handle it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, he's, well, well, that's the thing. I mean, he definitely is, like, at his core, a fighter. Yeah. Thank God the guy fought fucking Leo de Machida, for Christ's sake. 205, dude. Yeah. And, like, you know, and so, and I, and I think part of that also lends itself to you're probably not going to be taking it as seriously as you need to. Yeah. Because he knows at the end of the day, he can just throw down and scrap. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. Yeah. God, I, I do really miss the uh, old BJ though. Yeah. You know, because like, because real, because real old BJ that we're dealing with is, um, you know, I, I I hope the UFC behind closed doors is at the top of them that it needs to be done. I think it's over, think man. He, yeah, I mean, he he's on what like an eight fight losing streak or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty long. And to be honest, like, uh, there's a lot of fights that you know early on in his career, like the Guida fight and the Hall fight. You know, you would have dominated those fights. And granted, oh, Hall boy. Hall is like a phenomenal jujitsu guy and credits to him for actually like landing a Imanari roll heel hook on fucking BJ Penn dude. But like, that's like 10 years past BJ's prime. And I mean, I, oh, all yeah. the, all the credits to hall dude, impressive victory, but 10 years ago would have been much more of a, of a message to the lightweight division than it is now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, cause like the reality is, I don't know if at this point he could beat Diego. You know what I mean? I don't think he could. Ah, like, I don't know. With yeah. the coach in his corner, maybe he could. <laughs> I mean, Diego's like I said, he's actually been fighting well. Like I like not to the point that I would say he had like a career resurgence, but like he's you know he's at least been doing what he's supposed to, yeah. rather than just going out and trying to throw bombs like he had been for three years. Yeah, like that Clay Guida fight, dude. Just like oh heads yeah, down and, uh, punches in. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, cause a guy like Diego is super aggressive, so we can get away with that against guys like Clay and Joe Stevenson, 
yeah. who are both also not great strikers, and they're a little shorter. Yeah. You know, so, we can kind of keep, so he can't keep him at the edge of his punches, doesn't have to get too close. But then, like, you know, when he fought Martin Campman, which was, like, the beginning of the end of Diego fighting intelligently, you know, he just stepped in and brawled and then got rewarded for it with what many consider to be a gift decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been on a couple of ends of gift decisions. I mean, I think we're talking about a couple of guys that are super far down the road. So it happens, man. I mean, sorry. Which fight Saturday are you looking forward to the most? Uh, On the undercard, there's two two fights that I'm really interested in seeing is the Leonardo Santos and uh, Roman Bogota fight. I mean, I think I talked about on a previous podcast, uh, Leonardo, bro. I think he's like one of the most underrated lightweights in the UFC division. I mean, he's got knockout victory over Kevin Lee. He's, he's a monster dude. I mean, on the ground, he's a world championship black belt on the feet. He's, he's pretty talented. And uh, the Volkan Ozdemir versus Yuri Prachaya fight. I mean, Yuri yeah. was the uh, rising lightweight, or sorry, light heavyweight uh, champion, and he's twenty six three and one. So he's no slouch, dude. And he's fought a lot of game yeah. guys, and and Volkan fighting for a title. I mean, he's fought Daniel Cormier for the title in Boston. He's beat a lot of game guys. I think honestly, that fight should have been on the main card. I mean, Paige Van Sant, yeah. Amanda Rebus. Like I said before, dude, fuck that fight. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky because I know they, they also seem to like to balance out, you know, the uh, men-to-women ratio on cars now. Yeah. And, uh, but I, but I, I agree. I mean, Paige is just somebody who will draw. Whether we like her or not, people will tune in. And that's really ultimately, like, what the fighter's value is, at least to the promotion that's holding the fights. is like they really only care – how many eyeballs are going to be on you. And like Paige, who I honestly, I, I will say too, I think has shown improvement in her game the past few years. For sure. You know, yeah. I mean, she's not, you know, not to the level of, you know, many of the people on the undercard. Yeah. But people tune in. So that's all the UFC really cares about. And, I, and they're not, they're not wrong for, for thinking that, but it's just like, especially as like a purist fan, somebody who values the skill. It can, you know, it can be tough to swallow. Yeah, but yeah, but I was saying, like, if you really think about it to like a like a business perspective, like you also want people to tune into the prelims, right? Like the main card already has three title fights on it. What what more do you want? Like you want to put more stacked fights on it with people that you're trying to build up. Like Paige Van Zandt, she's a good fighter, and obviously she's been on Dancing with the Stars, and she's this naked Instagram model, and she's doing this and that. And side note, uh, I won a photo contest five years ago on her Instagram page, and I've got Paige Van Zandt in my DMs, bro. I got Paige Van Zandt messages in my DMs asking me for my shirt size. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> back to the point, dude. Uh, I just feel like with a girl like her name, dude, she should be fighting on the main card of the prelims. You get more tune-ins on ESPN+. And then, obviously, like, since you already have three title fights with a lot of big-name fighters, why not put Yuri Prachaya versus Volkan Uzdemir as the first fight on the card? Like, you get to introduce, reintroduce a big name in uh, Volkan Uzdemir and then really show what the UFC has to offer as far as the diverse uh, talent that they have to bring in with Yuri Prachaya, dude. So for me, yeah, I just think it was a it was a big slip up. 
I get that. I, I wonder too if part of it could be that they want to keep Paige because this is the last fight in her contract. Yeah, I heard she's that. Been very, yeah, she's been very vocal and how unhappy she's been with the pay. And so I wonder if she'd maybe just view it as kind of a slap in the face to um, that be shoved on the undercard. And, um, and so if they want to keep her, maybe they're just trying to kind of keep her happy. Though Rebus is also somebody who I think is going to beat Paige. I also which, think so. You know, it, you know, granted, too, that's, I think, a smart move on the UFC's part because they give her a girl who Paige will likely lose to and which will weaken her ability to, ability to negotiate both in the UFC and really any other fight promotion. Because, you know, you're, you're really, you know, it's unfortunate, but you're really only as good as your last fight because as, well, people in general, but especially as fight fans, we seem to have very short-term memories. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so, I mean, I, I think it's about, but yeah, she was saying that she could have made more money doing a regular job than she did in the UFC. And it's like, there is, obviously, we've talked, at, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about fighter pay. Yeah. But I think there's, I think there's a lot of layers to that. Because, like, she, yeah, I mean, she could probably make more working working some, you know, quote-unquote regular jobs than she is in the UFC. But the UFC was also the outlet that got her on things like Dancing with the Stars. That's why, like, she's also said she makes more posting on Instagram than she does. She needs to piss the fuck off, dude. Honestly, like, she's one of the most inactive fighters in her division. Like, I mean, granted, she's been injured a couple times. She broke her arm twice. She's been out. But, like, you're trying to fucking tell me that, like, dressing up with your boyfriend naked on Instagram is a regular job. Like, fuck you, dude. Like, obviously, the UFC built your fucking platform. Like, you have no, you have yeah. no right to try and say that, like, Oh yeah, a regular job could have paid me more. Like for me, a regular job is like, like you're a plumber, like you're an engineer, like you you sit out there, you go to an office like eight to five. But that's bullshit. Like if you're just sitting there and you're just playing off the fame that the UFC gave you and trying to tell them that okay, the pay could be better when you're one inactive and two you do not work a regular job anyways. Like you're just full of shit. Well, and that's the thing. It's like because also buying into that premise. Then you're working a regular job, and that sucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you know, you know, because yeah, even if you are an underpaid UFC fighter, then your job, you know, and technically you don't have to train. Your job is only you show up three or four nights a year, and that's that's the only stuff you have to do. But yeah. smart people, of course, train, train extensively and all that. But even that, you know, it's just maybe four hours, four hours out of your day, you have all the freedom to do other things. It opens so many doors for you. And I mean, and honestly, too, part of the reason why fighter pay is so bad is because I think fighters like the idea of being famous more than they like the idea of getting the paycheck they want. Hundred percent. So many could, yeah, because so many of them could. Chat, you know, like Josh Thompson is a great example of this, this, where he only ever went where they were offering him the most money. You know, no. he could have been a purist and stayed in the UFC his whole life, but his whole career. But he chose not to because if a place was offering him more money, that was where he was going to go. He didn't care so much about just being famous. Now, granted, sure enough, from a legacy standpoint, I think Thompson gets very underrated. Absolutely. But, dude. That guy was an absolute burner, and he knocked out. He's the only guy to knock – okay, I would say knock out Nate Diaz in the UFC. Oh, 100%. But because of that – but because of his means of running his career – the casual fan got limited exposure to it. 
Yeah, for you sure. You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've, I've been following him in whatever organization he was in, but you know, but the average person only knows that he we had kind of a hit or miss run in the UFC, and that's it. But that's in part because he always took, you know, whatever, you know, whatever paycheck was coming his way, 100%. you know, that was going to be the highest. And so, you know, and I feel like the UFC knows that most people just play ball. And so as a result, they're going to keep lowballing you. I mean, it's it's kind of tricky because you're in a, you know, almost like an attack, you know, a, a competitive relationship with your employer. They want to pay you as little as they can to get you to fight. And you want to get the most that you can in order to fight. It's like, so like, they're not, you know, they're not just going to necessarily take care of you unless you're a big commodity. And people, people need to advocate for themselves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, did you ever catch like during the uh, the prime quarantine period, uh, Jeff Neal? You know Jeff Neal, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that guy's an absolute burner at one seventy. That guy's knocking out everybody, and um, he actually confessed on uh, MMA Junkie that uh, he had to start waiting tables at Texan Roadhouse again just so he could make a little bit of money in between his fights. Dude. It's crazy. Damn. I mean, part you know and. You know, and like we talked about before, I do think the base pay really does need to go up for what fighters get. For sure. And um, but you know, there, there are a ton of a bunch of factors that go into it. Does it? It must suck though to, to be a professional athlete at the level of your sport that is supposed to be the equivalent of like the NFL or the NBA. Yeah. It has to be doing something like waiting tables at Texas Springing Roadhouse. Yeah, dude. Imagine you. All right. Here, here's the, the stats on Jeff Neal. First UFC fight, rear naked choke of Brian Camozzi. Second fight, knocked out Frank Camacho with a head kick. And everyone knows that Frank Camacho is fucking as game as it gets. That guy puts on exciting fights, and that guy's got a chin for days. His next fight was a unanimous decision against Bilal Muhammad. Knocked out Tico Price. Nico Price, sorry. And he fucking knocked out Mike Perry. How many guys do you know have knocked out Mike Perry? Yeah, not many. And, and so, I mean... Yeah, that's crazy. You gotta work at Texas Roadhouse to pay your bills, dude. Yeah, to have that much success. I mean, I and I wonder too if he's a guy too like Perry that will just blow through the money he gets, and then when we hit a point where it's like shit, there's actually no more fights now, you know, because he was probably planning on being a lot more active than fighters can be currently. Yeah. And so then he's like, "Oh fuck! Now I have to make something work," and that involves waiting tables. Yeah, man, it's super unfortunate. I don't think he's really the Mike Perry type. I think Mike Perry is a very unique individual, which, by the way, if you've been watching the news, he actually just knocked out some old guy. He pulled a McGregor, and he knocked out some old guy in a bar over the weekend. So I think the contrasts are, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, McGregor didn't flatline the guy. (laughs) But, um, but yeah. Perry did. Yes, he he did. (laughs) Absolute psycho. Yeah, I mean. I mean, granted, nothing about Mike Perry says that he's going to be well adjusted. Yeah, hundred so, I mean, percent. Do we do we know why they got into the altercation in the first place? No idea. I mean, all I read was that they were at a restaurant and the guy came up to his table, maybe complaining about some shit that he said. Perry's gonna parry, right? So. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a guy who proudly says the N word at great length. Yeah. He's like a tenth black or something. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe said. not even, dude. Maybe just kind of like I mean, he's from Flint, Michigan, so there's no uh, denying like the kind of people he's been around. Like 
he's lived a hard life, dude. Flint, Michigan's not an easy place to grow up in, but uh, in my opinion, no no excuse to say those kind of words. No excuse to act the way you do, bro. That's uh, that's a weird. I mean, it seemed like he was on a good trajectory, and then he's just kind of classic Mike Perry shooting himself in the foot. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, unfortunately, that's also why guys like that aren't going to have a terribly long shelf life. Yeah, he's like because Cheddar Bob and A-Mile, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's too much unpredictability there, and I think a little bit of genuine crazy in the issue with crazy is that's unpredictable. Yeah. And so it's like, because of that, it's like, I mean, especially, too, with the current climate we're in, where it's so easy, easy to get just sort of shut down for antics, you know, outside, you know, outside, out in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if anything comes of it, the guy press charges or anything. I doubt it, man. I mean, shit happens. But uh, first fight of the main card, we've already touched a couple points on it, dude. Uh, Reba's Van Zant. I think we both kind of voice that. I think Reba's is going to win. Me too. And, uh, and then after that, we got Rose and Andrade. Oh, that's a great rematch. Fantastic rematch. Yeah, it is. I mean, I I think Rose is great. I really want to see her, um, you know, get the win here. And honestly, I mean, I think she will. I mean, she was, I thought, pretty handedly winning the fight against Andrade until the slam. And, um, and so there's no reason to think that that won't happen again. But, you know, outside, you know, outside of the actual slam. Because, uh, I mean, Rose is clearly the more talented fighter. But she's also been on the shelf for a while now. So who knows what that's going to do. I actually find nowadays that, like, being on the shelf for that long after a KO loss is actually a little bit better for your career, you know? I think, like like you just mentioned, in the original bout, the first bout, that Rose was winning that fight. And, I mean, it's easy to make adjustments in MMA. I know, like, like we mentioned with the Dustin Poirier fight last week that fighters do have ticks that they rely on. And hers in that particular fight was going for that Kimura on the takedown attempts. But I think she realizes now that um, no matter where the fight goes, like if she gets on her back and if she's on the feet, like she's going to win the scramble. She's going to win the exchanges. So I I actually see that, okay, hopefully she drops that Kimura defense on the takedown. It doesn't get spiked on her head, but um, I think Nama Yunus wins it, man. She's, I mean, she knocked out Johanna Jurjacek. She's fought a lot of really talented people. I think that for sure, undoubt, undoubtedly, she's in the top three at uh, her division at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'll I'll be really happy to see her maybe get a shot at the title again if she wins. And um, I think I think that would be a really really fun fight. But I, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm thinking Rose probably has it pretty handedly because I mean, Andrade just seems to be really strong, and that's her bit. But she doesn't seem to be, from a technique standpoint, sort of on par with Rose. Hundred percent. I think Rose, uh, early on in her career, showed like that her ground game isn't as elite as we all think it is. Especially in that fight, uh, the first fight that she had after the Ultimate Fighter, where she lost uh, for the title. But leaps and bounds, man. That's a long time. You got a long time to kind of build on your skill set and. I think we've seen that she's she's a top fighter at the strawweight division, and I mean Jessica Andrade's game, very game fighter, a lot of power in her hands, and very powerful. And uh, she does have the 
the opportunity to kind of put you away at any time. But I think with Nama Yunus's length and how tricky she is on the ground now at this point and how sharp her hands are, I just don't see any way that without that little mistake that she made in the first fight that Nama Yunus can lose, you know? Mm, yeah, definitely. Now, then what's coming after that? Is that Jan and Aldo? Jan and Aldo, man. Yeah, and so... Like, like I know we've talked about before, I would love to see Aldo win. I really want him to, you know, because, like, I, you know, it's very difficult to find somebody who's had as good a career in any sport as, as Aldo did in, in the UFC. But, God, yeah, it is a beast. And that is a tall order for Aldo to be, you know, um, to be taking on. And so, I, you know, gun to head, I'd say Jan, but, um, but I'm really hoping for Aldo. I'd like to see a return of the, you know, legendary low kicks that he hasn't thrown since 2009. For sure. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of seeing Peter Jan's first fight in the UFC at uh, UFC Singapore, Cowboy versus oh, really? Edwards. Yeah, I got, I got to go oh, to that, God. man. And uh, I think uh, Ishihara, right? Uh, I think he trains at uh, Alpha Male. Yeah, yeah. Talented guy, man. I mean, he's, he's a good fighter, but when I watched that fight, dude, holy shit, man! Peter Yan really just showed up to showed up to beat his ass, dude. And it, it was honestly super nice card. Like, really cool to actually see these guys uh, on the come up and watch the, these original fights. So, good matchmaking on the UFC on that card. But um, I mean, Jose Aldo before the Volkanovski loss and the controversial Marlon Moraes loss, which personally I think Aldo actually won that fight. I mean. Me too. Me too. I, I hate to say it, but I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's why they moved Aldo forward to yeah. these, these title fights. It's um, like, I I don't know. Everyone I've talked to agrees that, that they think Aldo should have won. And I had him, had him clear two rounds to one. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. But uh, like we said, man, I mean, that performance he just had against Uriah Faber, I mean, granted, it's like, Again, another fighter past his prime, but we, we haven't seen anybody do that to your eye favor. I mean, even the times he's been finished, you know, like the Hen and Burrell fight. I mean, it seemed yeah. like he was okay, you know, when he got clipped. Like, he was trying to show the referee that he was he was in it. And ever since then, I don't think we've ever seen him really get finished the way that Peter Yan did, dude. And goddamn, like, that guy. I mean, I think he trains at Tiger MMA. Like uh, down in uh, right. in Thailand, like the guy's obviously got seasoned hands. I mean, he's Russian, which means we all know that the guy knows how to wrestle. <laughs> so uh, he's just one of those new breed of these Russian fighters that come out and they just, they mix it up super well. So, I mean, we've all seen Aldo struggle on the ground when he gets into later rounds. I mean, Holloway did it two fights in a row. Uh, I think in the Hominick fight also, like in the yep. latter, like I think round, like towards the end of round four and, all of round five, he spent time on his back, like getting punished. I oh, mean, oh yeah. I mean, Hominick really beat the hell out of him in um in their fight. Yeah, you know, to the to the point that I actually remember thinking that we could see a draw in that fight. Yeah, like, for sure. Because I got that. I remember Aldo clearly won two rounds. Hominick, you know, Hominick and him were really competitive in one, and then Hominick just took it to him in the last two. Exactly. And so I, was, I I just think that I mean Aldo had some good performances against uh, Stevens and he fought uh, Anato Moicano. He finished both of them, but 
I don't think at bantamweight, like giving up that much power that uh, he really has what it takes to like finish a guy like Ian. And I think that overall, if the fight does go to a decision, which I honestly don't think it does, I think Peter Yan finishes him within five. Uh, maybe then Aldo has a chance to to win if he can scrap out some rounds, but I just don't see it happening. I, I agree, because I also really question Aldo's durability at this stage of his career, too. Yeah. And Yan, and Yan is somebody who's going to really hit you. Yeah, man. I mean, you saw the power that he possesses in a lot of his fights, dude, like even that first fight against Ishihara, dude, like, he dropped the guy the first time. I was like, oh, shit. And that last combination to finish him off, dude, you could really see the power. And then in the Uriah fight, you saw him just smiling in his face. Uriah just talking that shit, waving to his wife in the corner, and just, boom, knocked out. So, I mean, Peter Jan's no joke. He's He's got the hands. He's got the boxing. He's got the kicks. He's got the wrestling. I just think at, at this point in time, like, with his youth and Jose... I mean, even though Jose is not that old in comparison to what some of the older UFC fighters are doing today, but that guy's been in a lot of wars, man. That guy's been fighting since a very young age. I just don't see him getting past Peter yet. No, me neither. And, um, and, and you know, because also, too, at this point, you know, like I said, Peter Jan's on the come up. He's, you know, got re- really talented boxing, re- you know, good grappler, seems strong as hell. And Aldo just, I mean, Aldo's become very predictable in this game. Yeah. You know, you know he's, he's going to try to box you. That's going to be it. You know, he doesn't doesn't really try to grapple, doesn't really try to kick, will occasionally throw, mix knees in. But he's otherwise just going to try to throw hands with you. And I don't know if Peter Jan's the one they want to do that with. 100%, man. I agree with you. Um, Next fight, I mean, we got a super sick rematch. We got Volkanovski, Alexander Volkanovski versus Max Holloway. How do you how do you see it going? Um, I mean, I, Holloway doesn't seem like the type of person to really make alterations between fights. Yeah. So, and, and I definitely like. I think there's some bias there because while I like Holloway, I for whatever reason remember their first fight being not nearly as close as everyone everyone says it is. Yeah, like I thought it was clearly Volkanovski, and um, and so I'm thinking unless the Holloway makes some real changes, that it'll be that we'll we'll see the same result. But who knows? I mean, you know, it's Holloway's somebody who's gonna hit, you know while he doesn't have the hardest punches, he's gonna hit you a lot, and judges obviously reward that. But I think he needs an answer for the low kicks. Hundred percent, man. I mean. <laughs> Holloway's a big volume fighter. I mean, I just rewatched the Ortega fight where he was throwing like 10 punch combinations and just nailing them with everything. But obviously Ortega oh. isn't on the same stand up level as Holloway, even just experience level, right? But uh I mean Volkanovski. Oh, yeah, that was a clinic. Yeah, tough guy, like power in his punches, in your face. I, I can see him winning the fight, but I can also see a lot of scenarios in which he loses, you know, man? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think either way it's going to be competitive. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's, it's you know, because, like, I think it'll be close. I'd say maybe, like, literally 55-45 to Volkanovski here. Yeah. And, uh, but, but really no scenario would really surprise me. You know, because, you know, if Holloway came in and then 
just handle them the whole time. That would, that you know, that I'd be like, yeah, it's Max Holloway. You, you know, probably the best one forty-five or ever. Obviously, yeah. It's you know, it's, it's but also if he loses, that yeah, that would that wouldn't take me by surprise either. So I mean, so, so this is just a really tough one to call. Hundred percent. But my gut, my gut, my heart, my heart, man. I gotta pick. I got. I gotta pick Holloway, dude. I gotta well, pick I, I respect it. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Volkanovski as the champion. I think he's really earned his, his uh, he's earned his position. Like no one beats Max Holloway the way that he went in there. And honestly, like you said, a lot of people thought the first fight was a little close, but watching it back, you can see how he kind of won four rounds to five. You know, it's oh, oh it's, yeah, it's pretty impressive the the fight he put up against Max Holloway. But my heart, my gut, mostly my heart. Like I said, I. I I just feel like for some reason Holloway is going to pull it out. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, and honestly, I hope you're right. I like, you know, I'm a fan of greatness, you know, and I'll, you know, so I like seeing champions be able to retain their title and stuff. Because I, I always like, well, I know some people like that kind of opens up divisions. I always almost kind of lose interest when I see divisions have sort of a revolving door at the top. Yeah. You know, because, like, well, on one hand, yeah, that means the division's really competitive. It's like, I don't know, I like that sense of continuity of having, like, this champion that's clearly above all. And, um, you know, and, and Max Holloway was that for some time now. Yeah. 100%, man. I mean, honestly, whoever wins, I'm sure that uh, the fight's not going to go the way the first fight went. I think... Which, whichever way it swings, it's going to be more of a dominant performance. Yeah, I could definitely see that. You know, because um, now I mean, both of them kind of, you know, are going to know what works, know what doesn't, and hopefully, if they're smart, they've made the alterations they need to to accommodate. But, like, you know, as much as I'm talking about how Holloway needs to change things up, I mean, Volkanovski would probably benefit from doing the same. And so it'll be interesting to see what game plans they come out with. Hundred percent. Um, for those of you that have been actually listening to the podcast, we've been talking about Gilbert Burns versus Kumar Usman. Uh, I think less than a week ago, they finally announced that uh, Gilbert Burns had tested positive for COVID nineteen. Super unfortunate, but uh, we got Street Jesus in the main event, bro. Yeah, I mean, so I was really happy to see that they were able to make it work out. It apparently, literally, came down to. You know, the UFC and Masvidal's manager were kind of gridlocked, but Masvidal was literally on the phone with them and just said, listen, we all want to make this work, so just fucking figure it out and we'll do. We'll get it done. Fucking pay me, bro. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what he actually makes off this, because he was one of the one of those who was holding out for more money, and now that he's, and now he's coming back, he'll be interested to see what they actually paid him. Yeah, I'd like to see the disclosed figures, the disclosed pay. I think regardless of either one of those fights, obviously for the hardcore fans that don't know who Gilbert Burns is, it would have been an entertaining fight. But uh, even for those, shout out to my boy Mickey Marks. I was giving him mad shit in one of the episodes saying that he was talking trash, saying the fight island was garbage and while Jorge Masvidal, he's finally on the card, so you got what you wish for. You better pay the 60 bucks for that fucking pay-per-view, Mickey, or I'm going to kill you. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, uh, 
I think regardless of what the fight was going to be, it was a tough outing for Usman anyways, even though he's a very game, very dominant fighter. I think that Gilbert Burns, of course, like uh, very good grappling. I think that that would have neutralized. It would have had a stand-up fight. Both guys trained at the same gym, but I'm super pumped up to see that Masvidal stepped up and he's in it, man. Me too. It's It'll suck that Mike Brown can't be in his corner. Yeah, it's horrible, man. Yeah, because yes, he got he he got um, tested positive for COVID as well, but uh, but yeah, I mean I've like I said, my head says he's been, but my heart saying Masvidal. Yeah, hundred percent, dude. Um, side note, love the fact that he showed up on the private jet into the airport in a pink Versace bathrobe. That's so fucking Masvidal. It's amazing. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, that was very very on brand for him. He's, yeah, I, I, I gotta say I'm really entertained by sort of like the rebirth Masvidal that we got. Yeah, you know, I mean, cause like, because like I'd always remembered him even in Strike Force as being kind of like a talented guy at, at you know at 155, kind of like your perennial top 15, but always seemed to get like these close decisions that would either go his way or not. So I think the move to 170 and his you know, he's one of those guys who's become a true welterweight. Yeah. You know, he's not somebody like uh, Volante who just seemed to want to go up and wait so he didn't have to cut anymore. Sure. You know, Masvidal put on weight. He's huge now. And he's, you know, and he's just been a lot of fun both in and out of the cage, you know, ever since then. Yeah. Have you, do you watch the Food Truck Diaries at all with Brandon Schaub? I don't. I've, I've heard it's pretty good, though. Yeah, so he's got his, I mean, he's got a couple of podcasts, but he's got like a YouTube segment called uh, The Food Truck Diaries where he brings on like a, a food truck or they order food from a restaurant. He brings uh, fighters on the show. And Masvidal talked about kind of like his rebirth. And after the, I think it was the Stephen Thompson fight that he lost, um, he had a lot of injuries just kind of culminating from his massive MMA career. I mean, if you think about it, he's, he's 48, 49 fights deep before a title shot in the UFC, man. Like, that's that's crazy if you think about it. Like, he's he's coming up to 50 fights in his MMA career. He's 35. So, But he said that uh, his manager called him asking him if he would do some, like, uh, kind of like a naked and afraid show, you know, where they go out into the jungle and they do, like, a bunch of, like, the real world, you know? They do, like, a bunch yeah. of athletic stuff and he said that a, a, a big reason like to why his career took a big shift is because he got to spend some quality time on that island not only recovering from his injuries but training with just a lot of high class athletes from other sports you know so you pick up a lot of different kinds of explosiveness and speed and a lot of other things that you just don't find in just traditional MMA training you know and the time off like really healed him up you got to make some money out of that you got to train with some high class guys and and that's the birth of street jesus man he said he just came in ready to to baptize people and i mean his last three fights i mean he slept there until fucking obviously slept the shit out of ben asker in five seconds fastest ko in ufc yeah. history and, and then i don't think that fight against diaz was as close as people were saying it was when it was going into the oh. fourth round like i, I don't see oh, it. I, I, yeah Oh, I didn't think that was close at all. I mean, Maswell beat the hell out of Diaz. Yeah, fuck like, yeah. Diaz, like, like, Diaz landed some shots, but you could tell they had nothing on them or anything like that. For sure. I just want to see, like, 
how Usman uses his wrestling in this fight, which I think it's going to be kind of like a wrestling dominant fight on Usman's end. I think he's going to use the kicks like he normally does and fight long like he normally does. And he's obviously the bigger welterweight. Yeah, I I agree. And I I know Masvidal's had some like really high level wrestlers in there in um, down at ATT. Bo Nickel. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, and apparently like the consensus is you can take Masvidal down, but you cannot keep him down. You know, he'll pop right back up. But, th- but then Usman's also saying all the right things where he's like, if I have to take him down 20 times, I'll take him down 21. You know, and so I think Usman's probably going to be grinding it out. I wonder if it would, it would maybe even be prudent for Masvidal to come up kind of with his hands low, both ready to sprawl, but also to maybe bait uh, Usman into thinking he can, tr- he can stand with that. To be fair, I don't really see... Masvidal is the hands-low type kind of guy. I think he's going to come out and try to fight with the same swagger that he normally does. I mean, to be fair, the only power punchers he's really fought in his division, uh, Usman, in that case, was Dos Anjos, who was a a big hitting 155-er where the power didn't really transcend to 170. I mean, he was still fast and good cardio, and obviously the guy's just a talented fighter overall. And Tyron Woodley, where he kind of just I don't know, like, we, we've talked about it before. Tyron Woodley's the type of guy where when he's a defeated fighter, man, the fight's already gone. There's no way he comes yeah. back and wins it. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know Usman mean. just I a, I think, sorry, I think Masvidal's just a different kind of animal with power at 170. He's very slick with his hands, bro. That, that guy is as slick as it comes. And he's been training, I mean, to be fair, even though they don't like each other, he was training with Covington for a long time. I mean, Mike Brown as oh, coach yeah. is, is no wrestling slouch. We saw what he did to Uriah Faber in the WEC. Unfortunately, his oh, yeah. career didn't transcend as well in the UFC, but he doesn't train with slouches on the ground, man. He's talented. No. Yeah, and he's even worked with, like, Yoel Romero and all that, too. I mean, he's, you know, he's definitely had the, tra- you know, because he's not somebody who's been sitting on the couch this whole time either. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it's a short-notice fight. You know, if from what I understand, he's largely been training for for about a year. For sure. Yeah, I mean, Dustin Poirier came out saying that uh, even though a lot of people think that he's coming off of six days notice, that, I mean, originally, before Gilbert Burns was announced, the fight was supposed to be Usman Masvidal, so he was training hard for that. Yep, and, um, and actually, I think it was the money talks that ended up changing that around. You know, because I think Masvidal just wanted more money than the UFC wanted to pay him. And then Gilbert Burns had that great performance over um, over Woodley, and they just switched it up. Yeah, but what perfect timing for Uz- uh, for Masvidal, right? Like, Burns drops out. They're desperately looking for a guy to come out and fight this guy for the title. And uh, oh, like that on six days' notice, like, hey, man, if you pay me what you're supposed to pay me, I'll come out here and fight this guy. And he, he worked it all out. They're paying him. He said that they didn't give him everything he wanted, but it was almost 90% there. So you could see how a guy like Usman, or sorry, Masvidal, tough as nails and uh, and just fucking took it, man. And I'm pumped. I'm fucking stoked. Oh, me, oh, me too. This is going to be such a good card. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to Cologne, Germany tomorrow to meet up with some friends. So hopefully I can uh, muster up the strength to wake up at 
4 a.m. on Sunday morning to watch this fight, but I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll make it. Yeah, or just don't go to bed. Just, yeah, that's a good just, point. Just, <laughs> yeah, just stay up and watch it. You know, then you'll be good. Fuck it, dude. Nothing like keeping Hell you yeah. up in the morning, like not going to bed at all. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we've seen a lot of pictures of Flight Island. Um, it looks like, I don't know if it's a show cage, you know, like how the UFC like puts up a lot of props outside their events, but the cage yeah. looks like it's outside, man. And from what I know, I mean, uh, Bananas' uh, first fight was outside in an outdoor ring, and uh, yeah, I re- yeah, I remember that was a shit show. Yeah, it was a shit show. I mean, the the rings get a little wet. I mean, obviously, it's we're in we're in Abu Dhabi. The the dry heat is probably gonna yeah. come into a big factor. But what's your opinion on whether the fight is at, the fights are outside or not? So I did hear. No, granted, this isn't from anybody who's actually there. But different outlets talking about how it won't actually be outdoors. Yeah. Then that's just for, that's just for promotion. But that said, I don't actually know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I could see the fight being outside, but uh, they should probably put a fucking roof over that thing with some lights and some some fans blowing in there for for that cool air. Oh yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I trust the UFC at this point that they'll, you know, that they'll have all their, you know, teeth crossed and I've dotted. Yeah, for sure. Where do you think Leon Edwards lies in the welterweight division after this fight's over? I mean, I think he's still one or two fights away from um, from getting a title fight because, especially like, you know, it's he. I think he's definitely closer if Usman wins. You know, but if um, but if Masvidal wins, I know he's talked about wanting to rematch um, Stephen Thompson. He's yeah. talked about you know you know they'd want to make the Covington fight. You know, and so um, so really Covington's the one who's guaranteed probably guaranteed a title shot for this. Sure. My guess would be that Gilbert Burns probably gets uh, screwed, and um, will have to fight his way back. But um, but if Covington's ready to go, then they'll probably want him to. You know, him to rematch who um, either rematch Usman or fight Masvidal. 100%. I mean, the division's so mixed up. Like you said, you've got guys like Covington. We have Leon Edwards. We have Tyron Woodley. We have Stephen Thompson. There's so many guys at 170, man. I honestly think it's one of the most underrated divisions in the UFC, bro. Dude, I, I, absolutely. Right now, it's like, I feel like it's pretty like open and kind of anybody's game. Because, like, as good as Usman is, I think there are certainly guys who can beat him at, um, at 170. So, it'll be interesting. I'm, looking, I'm excited to see how everything unfolds. 100%, man. I mean, uh, at this point, now that they have a little more flexibility, the UFC is just, like, announcing uh, fight after fight. Uh, one of the nicest fight announcements I saw, some uh, Brazilian on Brazilian crime going on. We got uh, Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira at 205, bro. Oh, that'll be a really fun fight. That'll 100%. be a really fun fight. I mean, Glover absolutely beat the living piss out of Anthony Smith in that last fight, bro. He did. I think I'd probably still pick Santos, but Glover looked so good in that fight. Yeah, yeah that was started, painful you know, remember, to watch, dude. Yeah, I remember it started with him getting the shit kicked out of him, but he just stayed patient, stayed in Smith's face, and then buried him. I mean, once he dropped him with that first combination, it was game over for, for Smith, dude. 
No, absolutely. And Santos coming off of that long layoff after the loss to John Jones, which, I mean, it was a super valiant effort, split decision. Um, I think he tore both of his ACLs in that fight, dude. Yeah, I mean, no, granted, part of that, I think, was that Jones kept throwing those oblique kicks to his knees. Yeah. And so, like, you know, so people make it sound like he was fighting with a couple of injuries, which he was. Yeah. And maybe he, and maybe they weren't caused by Jones. But it just, but, it, but like, to me, I interpreted it more as, like, it wasn't an accident that happened. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, those oblique kicks are no joke. I remember training at a very young age with some guys that, uh, what was CCFA mm-hmm. and uh, those guys were throwing oblique kicks when I was like 15, dude, those things fucking yep. hurt, man. Those things are painful and they're fucking annoying, dude. They, they do. If you, you know, do it as they're stepping in, you can do some real damage. God damn, dude. I can't believe that I was 15 years old and these people are throwing fucking oblique kicks on me, dude. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. I'm training at CCFA guys are hitting me with oblique kicks and fucking axe kicks, dude. What the what the fuck, I mean, man? I agree that at least it was distinguished. Uh, they were distinguished fighters doing it. You know, Chip Pollard obviously becoming a world champion of Muay Thai, and uh, and they had, they, you know you guys had some good pros come out of there too, like Jeff Nader. Yeah, I mean, uh, scary nickname Nader, dude. I think that's actually the oh, yeah. the best nickname in the game, bro. Uh, Nader was no joke, dude. I mean, I don't know what he's up to now, but uh, when that guy was fighting, bro, he was he was no joke. He was one of the friendliest guys you'd ever meet in the gym. Uh, game as game as fuck, dude. The like CCFA was was a powerhouse for a very long time. So fun gym to train at when you're a, a young guy just trying to elevate your game, you know? Oh, definitely, definitely. Fuck Scotty Reem, though. I know you're a cut man in the UFC, but you're an asshole, dude. <laughs> I remember I was like, yeah, I was like, fuck that guy, dude. I was 14 years old, and that piece of shit left his Maui gym sunglasses on the fucking mats at Banana's old gym, the one that was behind the Honeydew Donuts and Hyannis Mass, dude, the OG-ass gym. And he left his Maui gym sunglasses. Yeah, he left his Maui gym sunglasses on the fucking mats of the gym, dude. Like, there's a hundred places you can leave your... $300 $300 pair of sunglasses, dude. And yeah, I fucking stepped on him, dude. I'm barefoot on the gym mat. That asshole, dude, reamed me out. Classic Scotty Ream fashion, reaming people out. And fucking made me do push-ups every time I saw the guy. Well, I mean, he can't make you do push-ups. <laughs> yeah, but like, what the fuck, dude? You're like abusing me, dude. You're the fucking boxing coach. You're making me do more push-ups than everyone else that broke your sunglasses. Dude, go fuck yourself. But you break any more fucking laughing. No, dude. Like no, no one leaves her shit on the fucking mats, dude. <laughs> but the argument could be made that it worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, coming to breaking shit, dude. Um, I know this is very irrelevant to what we normally talking about, but uh, I'm so against having mirrors in the fucking gym, dude. Like, I couldn't tell you how many times at Bananas old school. So, like, my jiu-jitsu coach, Banana, his his coach is uh, Daniel Gracie, for which a lot of people don't know is the cousin of Henzo Gracie and the Gracie family. And um, Gracie jiu-jitsu, like, in those days, like, let's talk about seven, eight years ago, dude, was this, like, pit bull type of jiu-jitsu. And, like, 
you have no idea how many people I saw get absolutely bum rushed into those fucking mirrors, dude, and like slice their backs open, go to the hospital with stitches. Yeah, they definitely need to be well well placed if you're gonna have a <laughs> grappling kit. Away from the mats, guys. One hundred percent. Um. I'm a big fan of Daniel. I mean, Daniel is like, uh, to me, one of my biggest mentors below banana in terms of jujitsu, right? Like this guy is just as seasoned as it gets. IFL, uh, veteran for a lot of guys. I don't know the international fight league. IFL was like a big sub promotion back in the days. He's a pride veteran. And, uh, he actually, if you get the time to watch it, dude, just posted like a 10 minute long rant on his Instagram defending Henzo against the, the comments that bloody elbow put out against them. Yeah. I, 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 so I didn't read the article yet, but I, I heard that Henzo was being targeted for, for some stuff. It's I'll, kind I'll, of I'll, fucked I'll, up, man. Yeah. I mean, well, well, Henzo has such a good reputation for just being a overall good dude. And so I'd be interested to see if anything sticks. Yeah, I mean, we live in a day and age now where people kind of can't handle an opinion, right? Like, you and I might have very different ideals as to what life should be like, but we do have a common denominator in that we're both martial artists, right? So we can at least cling to, like, a common a common practice, you know, where... Oh, yeah, well, well, well and if nothing else, it's about being able to talk about it. You know, yeah. discourse is... Like- is the foundation of any democracy. Sure. And like, sure. And, and, but we don't share ideas anymore. We yell at you until you agree with us. And that's about it. Yeah, it's fucked up. And, and I, I feel bad for Henzo because as, as a guy that's trained under Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belts that are affiliated with Henzo, I mean, I've never met Henzo, to be honest with you. Like, I can't tell you whether or not he's a good guy, but... I'm surrounded by coaches that love the guy and I'm surrounded by coaches that aren't just Brazilian. You know what I'm saying? Like I can understand if like you're, you're clinging to like a, like a national standpoint, right. Where you say, okay, this is my countryman. I have to just follow what he's saying. But I know a lot of guys that have been through a ton of shit that, that Henzo's kind of molded their way of living. And even though you don't agree with what he says, let the guy be bro. It's that, that beauty of being an American that you're allowed to say what you want. And not be scrutinized for for anything, you know, man. Like, and it's just bullshit that a guy like Henzo, who's changed lives, man. He's honestly, Henzo is probably one of the biggest influences of martial arts in the United States right now. Oh, he was de- definitely an integral piece in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even just if nothing, if nothing else, I mean, like the Danaher Death Squad came from Henzo. It is Henzo. Yeah. It is Henzo. Yeah. Period. Exactly. Danaher is Henzo's student, and Danaher would tell you that. And Danaher doesn't train out of his own gym, guys. He trains exactly, out of yeah. Henzo, RGA. He trains out of Manhattan, Henzo Gracie Academy. Exactly. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in today, episode six of the podcast. Hope you tune in next week. Uh, have fun watching the fights this weekend. Cheers, guys.